Uh, welcome, to the, um, welcome to the alternative finance and yield session. Um, as a pretty interesting backdrop to this, uh, Tradewinds only last week uh, published uh, an article based on some Petrofen um, analysis uh, showing that as at year-end 2017, the total shipping loan from shipping banks outstanding was 345 billion US dollars. And that was after the top 40 shipping banks had reduced their exposure in the loan market by 42.5 billion dollars in 2016 and another 10 billion dollars in 2017. They also pointed out that the total ship finance amounts from shipping banks had fallen by 25% since 2008. And during the same period, the fleet growth has been a, a bit more than 28%. And we now hear from, uh, I think, a very interesting banking session that the banks are likely to retreat still. They're concerned about regulators, whether it's uh, capital adequacy requirements or environmental issues. They have a flight to quality. They will serve the biggest customers and be less available to the smaller customers. They fight for capital internally, and they require more equity. So there can be no doubt that there is a, a requirement that there is a source of finance other than bank finance going forward. And luckily, it is there. We're not going to discuss all sorts of alternatives, but some of them. And uh, we have a very capable and uh, innovative panel here, um, the names of whom you can all see. Um, they come from different companies, all of which may not be quite household names. So I would suggest that maybe each of you give a brief pre presentation of where you come from. And maybe, George, if you could start at your end. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I. Um I uh, come from Yale Street, uh, Marine Finance. It is an uh, online alternative uh, asset-backed platform. Um, just very helicopter view. We have a balance sheet of 100 million. We fund, in other words, we underwrite the deal. We then package the deal and sell it online. Who do we sell it to? We have 65,000 subscribers growing at 5,000 a month uh, in the US. These are accredited investors as defined by the SEC. These are people with over $200,000 a year in earnings or a million dollars net worth. The platform uh, allows them to sign on within minutes and uh, technology allows them to put their money uh, into the investment and for us to pay uh, their coupon and to generate the tax forms and anything else they need all done electronically so the rest of us uh, can go out and source deals the way we source deals is through originators uh, and um, we have a, a global network of originators uh, we're going to build out for shipping right now we have a litigation finance we have uh, a real estate um, bridge financing, vendor financing, and uh, as of May, we started uh, marine finance, of which we'll speak more about during the session. 
So in a sense, it's a sophisticated kind of crowd financing, this one. Yeah, it's uh, allowing uh, people that um, haven't been able to uh, get a decent return on their money uh, access to decent returns. That's, uh, that's a pretty new and very interesting feature. Uh, Richard on the RMK Maritime. Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm Richard Moore. I'm Managing Director of RMK Maritime. We're a London and New York-based uh, financial company, and we operate right through the capital structure. So uh, an example at one end, we were the uh, sole M&A advisors to Euronav on their purchase of Generate. Um, we get involved in various forms of capital raising, but um, also quite extensively involved in lease arranging. We've done approximately half a billion in the last 12 months or so for public companies and oil majors. And uh, we've recently raised uh, capital in order to write firstly in loans from an RMK platform. So uh, we are direct lending at the moment. Eric, Ocean Yield. Yeah, uh, my name is Eric Eider. I'm the CFO in uh, Ocean Yield. Uh, we are a, a stock-listed company. We provide uh, maritime leasing solutions for our clients through that we do 12 to 15-year uh, bareboat uh, charters with either purchase options or purchase obligations uh, at the end. We uh, started the company back in uh, 2012. Um, then we had three vessels. Uh, today the fleet counts uh, 55 vessels. So we have invested across uh, a number of different uh, segments. We have now uh, an EBITDA uh, charter backlog of $3.6 billion, uh, and the average charter tenor is 11.3 years. So uh, we are listed in Oslo. Our market cap is $1.25 billion, uh, roughly, in US dollars. We profile ourselves as a dividend yield company, so we pay quarterly dividends to our uh, shareholders. <coughs> Excuse me, our shareholders. And based on the last uh, quarter, the dividend yield was 9.6%. Uh, uh, and Acker ASA is the majority uh, shareholder, holding about 62% of uh, the shares. Thank you. And Nicholas, you're with uh, Friendly Securities. Yeah, so uh, I'm a partner at uh, Friendly Securities, and I head up our um, asset-backed finance uh, products. Um, the firm is traditionally... Uh, um, uh, boutique investment bank within the maritime space. Uh, you just heard my colleague Rickard uh, sitting up here in the previous panel. Uh, in addition to ECM, DCM uh, and advisory, we also do uh, resource uh, lease financing for our clients. We've done about uh, a bit over $600 million uh, of lease financing in the last couple of years, primarily sourced from uh, Japan and uh, Western uh, lease providers. And uh, Elias, you're with Australis Maritime Limited. Thank you. So um, Australis is an, a, an investment and asset management business which is focused on providing debt, debt financing to uh, the uh, shipping and offshore industries. Uh, we're looking to build lo long-term uh, relationship with uh, ship owners with strong management capabilities. Um, we've set up this platform to be as flexible as possible. So. We can go quite deep into the capital structure, up to uh, 70 or 80 percent LTV. Um, we are uh, agnostic in terms of uh, segments. We can do uh, shipping and offshore, as I mentioned, uh, and that includes some smaller and illiquid segments. We are agnostic from a structure perspective. We can do leases, we can do loans, uh, and also in terms of sizes. We can go as small as uh, $5 million. We can go 
over $100 million. Um, if you ask us what we believe is the uh, USP of uh, Australis, uh, we would say it's, it's a fact that is part of uh, Borealis Maritime. Uh, we have a dedicated team of uh, credit analysts and ship finance professionals uh, who are, however, uh, sitting together with uh, the rest of our team, uh, commercial, operation, technical uh, managers, uh, which uh, would allow us to uh, obviously uh, assess pro uh, projects on a bottom-up basis. Uh, we have signed our first couple of deals already, and we're looking to uh, grow our portfolio over the next few months. So it's uh, quite some variety between the, uh, the panelists and, uh, and, and where you come from. But uh, uh, it'd be interesting to hear how, while the, the ship owners are looking for finance, how do you fund yourselves? How do you get access to money and what is sort of the cost of funds approach that you have? Again, George, if we start with you at the far end. Yeah, um, I think uh, what we do uh, addresses a lot of the things we heard today and with Nicholas who were uh, speaking earlier uh, some of the things that Michael Parker said about banks uh, the institutions no longer being um, there for shipping um, and Apex and as Mayerhoff spoke about disruptive and transformative ideas to reach capital so there is um, over 10 million accredited investors in the U.S. that have deposits of uh, over $3 trillion. These people, um, their option is to give the money to a bank and pay the bank to look after their money or to take their chances on the stock market, neither of which are attractive. Yield Street, um, with its uh, warehouse funds, seeks and finds uh, asset-backed investments that can provide the kind of yield that is attractive to those people. And our investors come on and buy the funds, uh, the, the, the debt or equity that we've underwritten and get and share in that wealth. So our, um, our mission is um, prosperity for all, to provide <laughs> <laughs> to provide equal. Can I add something to what you're saying? Uh, the investor can buy in with ten or twenty thousand dollars. Correct. Which opens the market to a vast potential. Correct. We're not looking for an individual investment of millions or hundreds of thousands. No, our our first shipping investment. George, just, 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 for the, just for the benefit of those uh, further behind in, in the room who may not have heard the question, uh, the question was whether the investors have to pay in millions of dollars or they can get away with 10 or 12 or 15 or another amount. Correct. So the, um, the investors can put in 10, 20, 30, 50 thousand um, dollars and they can put that uh, into investments. We have now 90, over 90 investments on the platform. Uh, so they can have, if they've got $50,000 to spend, they put $10,000 into a shipping deal, $10,000 into a, um, a uh, litigation finance deal, $10,000 into a property deal. So they have a, a diversified portfolio with their uh, whatever capital they have. Richard, well, how, how does uh, RMK go about funding? Uh, yeah, so um, we raise equity for ship owners. It's what we do for a living. 
Um, we've raised, I think, so we, since we set up about $3 billion of capital. Um, so we know a lot of private equity, family, wealth, hedge uh, type companies across the world. And simply, we went to a few of our particularly friendly ones and asked for capital from them. Um, so we've raised money that way. That's what funds our platform. Hmm. Pretty simple. And uh, I think Ocean Yield has a slightly broader approach, slightly I guess. Slightly broader approach. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, George is such a nice guy. You know, I'm always looking for the buying the shares afterwards. <laughs> um, the, we have basically three main uh, funding sources. Uh, it's uh, basically equity, since we are, uh, you know, stock listed. Um, then we have the bank market, uh, and then uh, we tap also into the Scandinavian uh, bond market. We've done equity raises uh, basically three times uh, since we started the company. So we've raised a total of 350 million uh, of uh, equity since uh, the beginning of, of the company. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we get very attractive financing from, uh, from the banks. Uh, we basically give the banks uh, three feet to stand on. You know, we provide our corporate uh, guarantee. They get uh, an assignment in the long-term uh, charter. And then uh, they also have security in the, in the vessel. So uh, we get very attractive funding from, from the banking side. Uh, and lastly, the, the Scandinavian bond market, where we typically do five-year unsecured uh, bond issues. And the last one we did uh, before the summer was priced at uh, a spread of uh, 365. So it's uh, quite attractive uh, cost of funds. Mm. And in terms of tapping the bank market, it means, in a sense, that uh, you become the flight to quality, the sort of preferred, a preferred customer with access to the bank market rather than uh, for the ship owners and your customers. Yeah, definitely. I think being part of a bigger group like uh, like the Arca Group, you know, banks are also looking for ancillary business and side business and where they can make a little bit more money than, than on the margin. And of course, uh, being part of uh, what we do, uh, you know, where we typically do bond issues, we do cash management and a lot of ancillary business, then that's uh, very attractive to, to most banks. Yeah, Nicholas, I won't ask you about how you fund yourself, but uh, Elias. Uh... <laughs> sure. Um, so we've used the same model that we used before with uh, Borealis. We've uh, pa par partnered up with uh, two major PP uh, firms who have a very long and established um, uh, experience in uh, shipping. Uh, but at the same time, uh, given the uh, overall um, uh, imperative to lower one's co co cost of capital if you are to be uh, competitive in this industry, we've also put together a warehousing facility um, uh, to debt finance uh, a part of our capital structure from, from, from the beginning. Hmm. I, think, I think one of the important points of uh, where capital comes from is actually the cost of capital because that very much affects obviously what you can deploy it as and what you need to earn in order to pay and provide a yield back to the investors or whoever is uh, funding you. So um, it, it is the right question, where does the money come from? But it's also an important question, how expensive is it when you get it? Hmm. Could I respond to that? Georgia. <laughs> um, if you think about it, um, the cost of capital, you're saying banks uh, take the money from people and pay them nothing for it. They then um, lend the money out at LIBOR plus a pittance. They go bankrupt, and then the governments, like the government here, goes to the people to get more money to bail the banks out. So 
that's not a system. Um, what what we what Yield Street is saying is, uh, whatever we can get from an investment, we will give to the people. So we'll only keep one and a half or two percent. So if we can get fourteen percent of two hundred lawyers in Chicago uh, because they want to fund uh, some litigation, we will take their fourteen percent. We'll give twelve percent to the people and keep two percent. So what is the cost of capital? So so. <laughs> If I earn 2.5% on my Lloyd's Junior Saver account, you can beat that with your returns. Correct. Right. Just checking. <laughs> well, the title of the session is Alternative Finance and Yield. And uh, alternative, I guess, relates to the alternative to bank finance, which we started off with. And um, we learned during the previous session that uh, the bankers don't look at this as alternative, they look at it as more like, and it's not competing, it's uh, just uh, supplementing the bank finance we learned. Uh, but you're still looking for a return on your capital and on your yield, and um, what, what are the goals for that? How, what, what, what are you requiring in order to be uh, willing to open a client relationship with a customer? Richard, how about you? <laughs> um, um, I think, um, yeah, so, so our investors need a certain return. I think what I can say is on a portfolio effect. So we got, at this moment in time, we've got 300 million behind us. Um, on a portfolio effect, we need to charge, you know, on average, somewhere between six and six and a half over. Uh, and if we get that on average across the portfolio, we can provide very simple vanilla type uh, loan terms, which we think is very attractive to the uh, ship owners. We can keep it, again, simple, um, which I think is always the easiest way. Um, but that provides the returns that we need to generate uh, for our investors. And I, I think if you were paying dividends at a rate of uh, nine point something? Well, we're a lot cheaper than Richard, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, we uh, typically charge, uh, I would say, between LIBOR plus four to six percent. It depends a little bit on, uh, on the overall structure in, in the lease, but that's typically what, uh, what we've done in the, in the project so far. Mm -hmm. And what LTV is that? <laughs> well, up to 100 if yeah. you want. <laughs> Elias, would you like to comment? Sure. Uh, look, I think, uh, uh, obviously, as, as we mentioned earlier, it will depend on the project. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, we think about it more in terms of total returns uh, in, instead of yield. And high single digits works for us. Mm. And when you advise your clients, uh, Nicolas, uh, is this uh, attractive? Well, I think you see... <clears throat> the cost of capital on this product range from, uh, I think we've gone as low as 4.4 uh, on 100% LTV basis. It's probably the most competitive least we've ranged, all the way up to 8.5%, 9%. But I think that on a WAC basis, um, there are leasing solutions out there uh, that are appropriate and suitable for anyone but the absolute top credits. Um, I also think that you know the access to debt is certainly diverging, as we've heard. There's a flight to quality, um, and the funding arbitrage is, is making an impact. Um, I think one of the problems is that there's still a, an old prejudice amongst many um, ship owners that you know alternative financing or call it leasing um, is uh, sort of um, <laughs> a solution for the poor and desperate. I would say that with the extreme evolution of uh, the leasing space and its 
players over the last five years. That's no longer the case. Structures have become uh, extremely creative, and you know you can fund everything from you can get everything from uh, sixty percent to one hundred and ten percent LTV. So there's certainly something out there uh, uh, for everyone. But I think unless you have a single-digit uh, equity uh, IRR uh, hurdles and uh, access to debt at less than L plus 200, um, this universe has, has a lot to, to offer, for sure. Mm. Mm. Could I answer that question just slightly differently? Sure. Um, investments that our in investor base has gotten used to, like litigation finance or property, uh, cross um, uh, lending sell in under 40 seconds. So we put the investment on the platform and uh, we tell uh, our investor base that six o'clock on Tuesday, uh, this is what the uh, investment, we put all the uh, prospectuses and credit memos and they read them uh, and it opens up. Our last one um, a few weeks ago six and a half million dollars of litigation finance sold in one second. <laughs> so we raised six and a half million dollars in a second. Now, our first shipping deal we put out at 8%. The ship owner paid 10%. It took us four weeks to sell it, our first shipping deal, to 600 people, and as Nicholas said, $10,000, $20,000 each. Our second deal, um, we lent out at 12%. We gave our investors 10%, it sold out in 18 minutes. So it depends, we, we, we track what our investors are asking us and what they want, and then we will price accordingly. Well, it's kind of interesting to hear uh, you start off describing your various uh, companies. You obviously have uh, quite uh, differing uh, ownership structures and uh, in part sponsor uh, structures. How, how does that sort of affect the way you do your business? Elias, you have a, a, you have a, a particularly strong sponsor. Uh, sponsors, yes. Sponsors. Um, we heard it in the previous panel. Uh, obviously, the private equity approach um, to partnership is um, a, a very tight relationship. Uh, at the beginning, that takes a bit of time to calibrate, uh, to make sure we're all on the same page of what we're trying to achieve, the investment criteria, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a tremendous amount of benefit that for the life of that fund, it could be eight years, it could be 10 years, maybe longer, it's the same four to six people around the table talking about opportunities every single week. And that creates tremendous amount of um, efficiency in making decisions both in uh, good markets and in, and in bad markets. Um, so that we would consider to be a significant competitive advantage uh, in the way that we have set up our platforms. I think you have, uh, with Ocean Eagle being listed, you have sort of the typical governance issues. Yeah, uh, so we do um, quarterly reporting, of course, uh, you know, on our accounting and, and, and all that. Um, uh, and of course, we, we try and do, be as transparent as possible. Uh, that being said, you know, uh, not always you can disclose all, uh, all the details in the transaction with, uh, with, with the counterparty. But we try and be as, as open and transparent as we, as we can. 
Um, and then, of course, we, we also try and focus on sort of larger transactions that uh, you know, attract appetite from investors and also from, from the banking market. I think one advantage also being part of uh, a bigger system is that we can, we can move quite quickly. And I think that's also one side of the ownership story that's uh, important not to forget. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we moved uh, basically within two weeks to do a $500 million transaction, even though we didn't have the funds available. When Arker then uh, Arker provided then uh, you know a bridge financing facility and then we were able to do the deal, turn around in the market and then uh, raise equity and uh, and uh, some more debt uh, afterwards. So that's definitely uh, an advantage for us to mm. to be part of uh, a bigger group. Mm. If I can just uh, chip in there, I think that's an extremely important point and uh, I guess also supports uh, George's uh, platform. That I think anyone who's looking at alternative finance today and uh, once that higher LTV is doing so for a specific reason, not just to have uh, liquidity sitting in the bank, well, maybe if you're at the bottom of the market and burning cash, but uh, you want certainty of funds and you want uh, execution risk to be as low as possible. And I think that's where you see the difference between the call it alternative uh, financing providers that succeed and the ones that don't, is the ability to execute extremely quickly and have certainty of funds so you know when you're negotiating with them. If you agree, there the deal will go through. Mm -hmm. I think that's extremely important these days. Yeah. No execution risk, exactly. or limited. Or yeah. Yeah. You've described that you're all seemingly quite flexible. Uh, you can be anywhere in the uh, capital structure, seemingly. Um, how about uh, your view on the type of assets? Do you focus on specific asset classes? Do you take a portfolio view, or how, how do you go about uh, creating the uh, total investments? Richard, maybe uh, you have sure. a view on that. Um, we're, we're agnostic to sector. Um, to the extent we'll look at any mainstream deep sea liquid type of ship, so you know, the tankers, bulkers, containers, gas, etc. We won't do very niche or uh, specialist asset classes such as ferries, for example, and right now we're not going to lend an offshore. Um, but we're specifically looking at portfolio effect of asset classes because that provides balanced risk both to our investors and then when we're looking at deploying capital and writing loans, um, those borrowers that we're dealing with can feel comfortable that we know the sectors that we're lending in. We, we will have lent across all of them. So uh, for us, I think the portfolio uh, balances risk for uh, both on our side and actually for the borrower. Mm. Eric, you've grown to quite substantial fleet in various sectors. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we started off with basically having a uh, main focus on uh, oil service, um, and then we have moved into more industrial and traditional shipping uh, over time. Uh, if you look at our portfolio today, we're invested in seven different uh, segments. And we think that's uh, that's very important because uh, you know as you know in shipping you know it's a volatile industry, uh, rates and values will move uh, up and down. Uh, when one segment is positive, another one might be negative. So for us, it's sort of creating a balance and and creating more stability in our sort of dividend uh, payment uh, capability. Uh, naturally, over the last couple of years, we've sort of also stayed away from uh, from offshore. Uh, we've had a couple of issues in the portfolio that we have uh, worked through. 
Uh, and now, however, it might be more uh, interesting to start looking at offshore uh, again as you see that asset prices are, are low and uh, there's a lot of optimism uh, in, in the future of that, uh, that market. So mm -hmm. uh, the point for us is if you stick to one single segment, you kind of have to start, you know, continue to do that one single segment throughout the cycle while you can be more flexible if you have, uh, you know, uh, several segments. Yeah. Well, we've been talking uh, at great length earlier today about scrubbers and uh, 2020. If uh, anyone would like to uh, invest in scrubbers in their vessels, could they find finance uh, from uh, the panelists? Yeah. Well, right, Richard. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, as a hospital pass, yeah. Um, no, I, th I think um, scrubbers, obviously, we talked about earlier. There, um, it's quite an emotive point. There are polarised views on, on, on scrubbers. Um, I think in, in general, even on the big ships, um, not everybody's subscribing to them. Uh, but if we look at it from a pure uh, financing or funding perspective, um, you know, it's a complicated bit of kit going on to an already complicated bit of kit. Um, and if you're looking for security on that scrubber, it's difficult sometimes to achieve. And I know a lot of the law firms have been working to find the right security package around it. And there are a lot of uh, funds and companies out there that are willing to provide scrubber <coughs> finance uh, on the basis that they believe there'll be the spread between um, bunker prices, which will help amortize that cost. Um, all of that makes sense. I think we all know that. Um, we won't lend on scrubbers because I think it's, it's, uh, it is complicated. We'll, uh, from a risk perspective, we'll lend on the assets. Um, who knows whether it's the right move and um, who knows whether it'll be sustainable and that that spread to amortise the cost will actually exist. Um, can, we continually hear from the oil companies that we work with uh, that they think that that delta is going to be much narrower than people think. Hmm. Look, it's fair, it's fair to say that for uh, everybody on this panel, uh, financing uh, Scrubber on a standalone basis is very, very difficult. But again, we would take the view we are financing a project, and that project uh, would include the vessel and whatever capital expenditure the owner and manager would consider to be uh, necessary for the right commercial and technical de uh, uh, deployment. And so. Uh, in, on, that, on that basis, of course, we would be financing the uh, uh, vessel and the scrubber installation together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just to jump in on that again, I mean, I think the, what we have seen, some of the leases that we've arranged, um, we've extended the LTV in order to release more capital and then that ship owner has used that capital to, uh, to fund scrubbers. And the most logical way to do it is what DHT did and was announced this morning, where they extended their loan um, from their banks, from their corporate lenders, and, and again, that release of capital allowed them to, to pay for scrubbers. That, at least in our opinion, is the most efficient way to do it. Yeah. And you financed the projects and the vessels. Uh, during the banking session, we uh, heard quite the focus on um, the quality of management and the footprint of the company and the relationship. Uh, will the uh, potential clients of yours face the same kind of scrutiny and the same concerns, or do you have more like an, uh, a project-based uh, approach than uh, a sort of a personal relationship approach? Starting with you, George, for instance. Yeah, thank you. I think that uh, for us is the most important uh, starting point: is uh, who the lender is. Uh, they 
or a lender that has been in shipping that have a good operation. Um, so uh, that, that would be our starting point. And secondly, the, the project itself, uh, can the lender make money? Because if he doesn't make money, we don't make money. So uh, the advantage we have is that we can structure it flexibly. Uh, in a, we can take part in the earnings. We can uh, do anything that, that makes sense to the project itself. Um, and the, the, the second thing where we have an advantage is that we're quick. So we can look at something, if it makes sense, funded with our own money, underwrite it, so he gets the money immediately, he or she, and um, then we can package it and sell it. Mm. Uh, Eric, would you like to comment on the relationship aspect of things? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, shipping is a people's uh, business, and, uh, you know, it's always, uh, you know, we find it at least important to do to do um, uh, business with people that we know and that we we trust. Um, we have uh, also found that it's easier to do uh, repeat transactions with people that we have done business with uh, with before. Uh, you know, it's always based more or less on the same type of uh, documentation, and you've kind of been through the negotiations, uh, you know, uh, previously. Um, so, you know, at least uh, three or four of the names that we have in the portfolio today, you know, we've done repeat uh, transactions with. So that's uh, that's helpful. That being said, you know, we won't rule out doing business with also new clients. We've added on a few names uh, already this year. Um, and you can always um, structure the lease in a way so that you're more asset focused than actually relationship and, and, and client focused, mm. which we have also successfully done uh, a couple of times. Mm. Look, uh, to, to add to this, uh, obviously uh, uh, repeat business is uh, crucial in any sector and uh, it's, it's also here. And the, and the other thing is uh, when the financing in whichever form has a tenor of four, five, six, seven, eight years, whatever it is, the likelihood is in cyclical industries, you know, a, a rough patch will be hit at uh, some point and the closer the uh, relationship uh, that you have with your borrower, the easier uh, the uh, solution will be. Um, yeah. Richard? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think um, you can mistake alternative lending, which is what this is being grouped at, rightly or wrongly, with a, uh, an alternative approach to lending. But I think, I, personally, I disagree with that. And I, I think it's the same for everybody here. Um, if you cut corners in the way you look at uh, lending capital or writing a loan or a lease, um, you'll lose money as, a, as that lender. So you have to take a disciplined approach, um, and that's a way not to lose money, which I think some of the other newer entrants into the industry trying to write loans have lost money. Hmm. This is a pretty uh, homogeneous uh, panel. Uh, all uh, more or less middle-aged men, not quite uh, all, Nicholas, but we're all men, no women. But also when discussing leasing, it's kind of conspicuous uh, that there is no, no one from Asia here. And um, I'd like to, to, to hear what you think about the competition coming out of Asia. Um, it's noted that the Chinese, in this uh, Tradewinds article, it was noted that uh, the uh, Chinese leasing companies alone accounted for 47 billion uh, worth of leases by the end of uh, 2017. It's quite, quite, quite significant. And uh, also you have 
uh, active Japanese and some Korean players there. And uh, Nicholas, I'd like to hear with you. You've been working with uh, many projects originating out of uh, Asia. Uh, what sort of your observation? Well, I think in general, just to take it from very high level, uh, I'd say that the Chinese uh, lessers have had the biggest impact uh, on our industry in recent years out of all the, these providers. Uh, they provided incredible amounts of liquidity, uh, both to owners that needed to free up liquidity on existing assets, but also in funding large uh, new building orders. Um, it remains to be seen, of course, if as they kind of uh, build their, their portfolios further and then maybe at some point reach, um, reach a level where they don't want to build more, whether anyone will come in and sort of uh, replace uh, their appetite. Uh, but so far, we haven't seen anyone that's able to match them in scale. Having said that, the Chinese are becoming a bit more strategic uh, mm. in their approach. Um, they like to look at uh, much larger deals than in the past, uh, maybe less commoditized shipping. I think the Bocom uh, transaction with Trafigura is a very good example, you know, basically funding a huge order for an uh, end user. Um, the Japanese are, um, are always active, but on a far smaller scale. Uh, you see the Jolcos that fund some larger deals, mainly in the liner business for the J3, uh, and recently also for some smaller commodity shipping deals. But the deals that you generally see in, in Japan are, are smaller, and it's on a, the famous one-by-one -one basis, as the Japanese say. Um, so they're not really providing that much liquidity, but of course you read headlines about people doing Japanese leases at extremely competitive levels, uh, which always gives them maybe an underserved amount of, of attention. Um, the Koreans, we haven't seen uh, very, they haven't been very visible in the last uh, few years. I think that what you've seen out of Korea has been a lot of activity from the, call it ECA type uh, banks that are supporting, uh, funding new building orders. But, you know, to sum it up, China is the most uh, important player out there, but things are also changing there. Mm. Please. Uh, the, the Chinese banks are the Chinese government and they're funding their shipyards. Uh, so they're funding Chinese business. I think it would be wrong for European banks to try and compete uh, with the Chinese government So um, on price. So I think I was in Asia last week. I spent a week there. Uh, there's a lot of business going on. The Chinese... Um, credit uh, is, is there's lots of money out there. It'd be better to partner with them if, if you can and use their cheap money uh, to lower your cost of money and uh, do some deals with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, that's why I was there. So uh, I, I think it's a better tactic. I, I want to add one very quick point to that. I was also in Asia last week and um, uh, I had a very interesting conversation with a Asian banker working for a European bank, uh, and uh, he told me about a deal where a Chinese leasing company was financing, were going to the Japanese Jolco market to fund themselves so they could then provide a lease to a Western ship owner who was again providing a time charter to an oil major. And I think, yes, in theory, you can probably financially engineer that in a way that <laughs> looks like it makes sense. But also remember that there's a lot of leakage of uh, lawyer fees and broker fees uh, through that structure. Well, that's not only bad. You have to remember that. <laughs> but um, 
I, I, I know from the organizer that we're very uh, uh, tight on time here. Uh, I thought it was interesting that on the Bulker panel earlier on, one of the uh, panelists suggested that uh, owners tend to repeat old mistakes by over-ordering at a time when they should show discipline. Uh, but it was also suggested that maybe the leasing companies were sort of pushing them ahead to place the orders. And there's a very good old maritime saying that smooth seas do not make a good sailor. It sort of suggests that experience uh, teaches you some, some, something. But that will be for the next panel or the, maybe next year to see whether anyone has learned. So thanks to the panelists. Thank you.